You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. Um, It's a little different. Um, Most Sunday mornings... Um, well, I don't know. Maybe most Sunday mornings are different here. I don't know. <laughs> we tend to change from Sunday to Sunday. Um, today, we've got a couple of our interns and or others that are graduating at FGCU even as we speak, and the term is over there, so things kind of shift just a bit. Um, but I'm excited about today's message, and I'm excited for them, um, even though they can't be here, um, that we are sharing the foundations, and they have this foundation in their life as well. So we are thankful for so many of our students here who are gaining that foundation of the building blocks of faith in our campus ministry and in our lives. And um, so we're going to, like Phil said, we're going to be starting with the foundation series for one last week today, and then taking a break for the next three weeks as we go Advent and Christmas to the gift of Christmas. Um, And then we're going to go back January 8th to finish up the creed with I believe in the Holy Spirit, etc. for five weeks, okay? It's a long time, I know, but in one sense, it's really good. And each week with just a different section of the creed, we get something new. So today we're looking at the phrase, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead, okay? And right away, you hear that word judgment and you're going like, ugh, Gloom and doom, here we come, okay? Nobody gets super excited about being in front of a judge and standing before a judge. (laughs) It's okay, okay? Because you kind of feel like, I don't know anybody who's ever had to go to court feels like, hey, it's court day, let's go. How many of you have been excited about jury duty? Let alone if you, can be, if you have been accused of a crime and you'd have to stand before a judge. It doesn't sound exciting. But here, contrast that, that picture that we have about a modern-day courtroom with this truth that Martin Luther shared, the great reformer, years ago, and he said this, if we could grasp this in our heart, what kind of joy... Would we experience the last judgment that one would not fear it? Are you kidding me? That we could have joy in this phrase, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead and not be trembling in our boots as we come into that. But I think that's where we're headed and that's where we're going to get to as we study God's word today and as we study what this really means, that you can have that balance in your life, that clarity And that belonging in such a way that you can have joy even at this phrase, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. So, as we have moved into the creed each week, and um, we've shared the fact that when we confess, when we profess this creed, we're pledging our allegiance to this God. We are saying this is who we are because of who God is and what God has done for us. And this is our identity. This is our destiny. This is our future. This is whose we are. And we've gotten into that every week. And at the same time, we have pledged that. We've said over the millennia, the Christian church has also, when it's confessed this creed, has said, and we reject the narratives, the storyline, 
of our popular cultures, wherever they happen to be over the thousands of years. We reject that because it's just a myth. It's, they want to shape and form us into this when it's not really about that at all. Life isn't about this. And we've said there are different isms that come up from materialism to hedonism. Okay, to... You name it. You know what I did? I researched this week. I went on, you know, Google, of course. I looked up ism. And do you realize there is a site that has a list of a zillion different isms that you can study and look at? Okay? And it starts with A and it ends with Z. And you can look at the word and the definition. So we've got the definition. Absolutism. It starts with that, the doctrine of a single uh, government by a single power or autocracy. And it goes all the way through to Z. The next slide, where zootheism, the attributes of divine qualities to animals, and you can have all sorts, but we're going to study two of them today and say these are the two that we reject, and they're very popular isms that you know, you've heard them, you use the words, and I'm not against the words, but we are saying when we confess this creed that we actually reject these kinds of ways in and of themselves. Now, the first is optimism. You see on this, it's a lack of information. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. I know that's kind of funny, but you know, optimism basically says this is the best of all possible worlds. Whatever can go right will go right. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker? Have you ever thought about that bumper sticker? Whatever can go right will go right. So that whatever is happening in this world is the best it can be. So then this is the best it can be? Are you kidding me? But we reject optimism not because we are not hopeful as Christians, not that we, but we reject optimism that just naturally everything is great, and we have hope in the God who comes to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who gives us his promises. So optimism is different than the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we reject the idea that everything's just great the way it is. We also reject, though, pessimism. Anything that can go wrong and doesn't go wrong is just waiting for a much worse time to go wrong. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that pessimism that people have that this world is bad off and nothing is going to turn out great and things are going to just go downhill and that's just the way it is. And, you know, the funny thing is religious people can be extremely pessimistic. Have you ever met any religious people who are pessimistic that just have this doom and gloom attitude about them? Well, this was interesting. At the time of Jesus, there were two schools, rabbinic schools. One was called Hillel and the other Shammai. And they had a debate for two years. Two years. They debated back and forth. They couldn't agree. And they, the question was whether it was good for human beings to even be created. And after two years of debating back and forth, they agreed on something. And they agreed that it was probably best if human beings had not been created. And these were some of the most religious people of the time of Jesus, and they looked at all the evidence of the Old Testament and everything else and figured it out, and they were pessimistic. It had been better if we weren't created. Can you imagine living with that kind of pessimism? And then there was another um, rabbi at the time of the apostles, so 20, 30 years after Jesus, who on his deathbed started to weep. And his disciples came around him and asked, why are you weeping? And Yohanan ben Zakkai, this rabbi, said, there are two ways before me, the one to the Garden of Eden, paradise, and the other to Gehinnom, or, you know, the underworld, right? And I do not know which 
on which they lead me. How can I help weeping? And on his deathbed, he was wondering, he was questioning where he was going to end up. Well, if I were questioning that, I'd be pessimistic myself. If I were wondering and I didn't have clarity or balance or belonging, I'd be wondering that too. Maybe I would be pessimistic, but we are saying we reject. The optimism in the world says that everything is going to be great and we're going to figure it out. And the pessimism of the world that everything's terrible and it's not going to turn out well. And instead, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us hopeful, even in a phrase like, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, right when you talk about Judgment Day, you might be thinking of Armageddon, all those wonderful movies that come out, Doomsday, Timelines, all of this stuff. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. But um, usually people start asking the question, when? Right? When is it going to happen? What's going to be the signs of the end? And actually, the disciples asked that of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus was with them after Palm Sunday, and this is where our text is coming from. After Palm Sunday, he got out onto the Mount of Olives, and he was walking around, and the disciples looked into the distance and saw the temple just kind of glowing in the afternoon sun and how wonderful alabaster it looked and everything. And they said, my, how wonderful these buildings are. Isn't this the most magnificent? And Jesus turns to them and says, heh. Not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And they're like, what? Are you kidding me? When is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? What's, what's the sign of this? What? And Jesus was getting at, it's not about the temple. It's not about this real estate. It's not about this place. It is about the kingdom of God that's going to last forever. And he then goes into a long discourse on the Mount of Olives. It's a last of five in this book of Matthew. And he explains to them not when and not how, but why. And that's what we're going to look at, why, and what's really going on in this world and how God's kingdom actually works in this world, in this parable. So he talks about being ready. And he actually says, Here, here's the one sign that you can be guaranteed you know when, when the second coming is happening. When you see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, then you know it's happening. <laughs> Do you get it? I, seriously, that's what he says. All this other stuff is just... And so what he does is he uses the temple and its destruction, which happened in 70 AD, just 30, 40 years after Jesus spoke these words. And he combines that and says, what happens at the temple at this time is similar to what's going to be like at the end of the world. But he doesn't give us when. And then you don't get a time. We always want that for a strategy, you know. How can I figure out, kind of get the inside track? Do I need to have seven years worth of groceries stored up in a bunker somewhere so I can get through the tribulation? How am I going to... It's like... Honestly, I don't want to get through the tribulation. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with Jesus anytime, okay? Do you understand? I don't, but it's really not about that. It's really going to be about why and who we can be in the meantime. And that's where Jesus puts the focus, okay? And so, Matthew 25, verses 31 and following, this is what he says then when he's sharing about the Son of Man coming in the clouds. So let's read this text. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the, his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he answered them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And you're probably, this is a heavy passage in some ways, but I think there's some glory and joy in it as well. We're going to go through, can you believe it, 10, 10 points. I don't know if I've ever done a 10-point sermon before. They're going to be quick though, okay? And then we're going to get to balance, clarity, and belonging kind of the outcome, okay? So the first point, Christ will be glorious. There's going to be no question. When Jesus returns in glory, nobody's going to say, hmm, I wonder who that is. It says, when he returns on his glorious throne and he is the king and nobody questions whether he has the right to be king, nobody is questioning anything he does. It is the way it is. And Jesus will be seen for whom he is. And nobody says, um, what right do you, are you sure? Or He's no longer going to be sitting on the side of a dusty hill, Mount Olives, teaching a, just a handful of people. He will be known and be seen for who he is in all of his glory on that day. And then he goes on from that point to the Son of Man will be like a shepherd who separates his sheep and goats, one to the right and one to the left. I don't know if you know this, in the Middle East, sheep and goats were herded together, okay? They were one big flock during the day, and they actually um, looked a lot alike. I don't know if you could tell what the sheep, yeah, I guess you could tell a few of the sheep and goats, but because, you know, it's dusty, dirty, they butt heads, you name it, what they were doing, they kind of looked a lot alike. And it was only at night that a shepherd would then take the sheep and separate them from the goats. The goats he'd leave out in the field because they could handle that. And the sheep would be put into a pen where there was shelter because they needed warmth, okay? So the point Jesus said, and this is not the only parable, sheep and goats are mixed together. Dogs and cats are living together, you know. This world is filled with a lot of things that are going on. You can't tell the difference necessarily between who's who and what's what going on in this world. And that's the way it is up until the day when Christ separates the sheep from the goats. And he's going to do it in such a way that nobody's going to question him. That's point number three. Jesus judges rightly. 
He didn't see anybody in this parable. Oh, 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 geez, um, I'm the, you got me on the goat side. I'm supposed to be on the other side. This shepherd knows exactly who is who. And he does so before, before anything is mentioned about them. He knows exactly who is who. He judges rightly. And nobody is questioning his judgment in that way. Okay? Even when... The goats, the unrighteous, say, wait a minute, when did we see? They're not questioning they didn't do anything. They're just questioning, when did we see you? You weren't obvious. We'll get to that in just a minute. So nobody is going to question his judgment. Point number four. You know, God's word talks about us as sheep many times, but never compares us to goats. Um, sometimes the, con- you know, being sheep, we wander away, we're foolish, we get lost, we're stubborn, all we like sheep have gone astray. You know, we're, all, we're called sheep a lot of times, and sheep are not necessarily smart, by the way, or compliant. But again and again, sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and know the shepherd. Goats hear the voice and do whatever they want, (laughs) okay? And so we're never called goats. We're always called sheep, okay? Point number five, the separation between these two takes place before anything is mentioned. Anything is mentioned about what people did or didn't do or who's what, etc. You know, you're going to miss the whole point of this parable The whole point of Jesus' teaching, if you think that Jesus makes the decision of what side you're on based on what you did or didn't do, that is a consequence of being a sheep or a goat. It's not a um, puts you in that category. It is always by grace that we are called or chosen. And that's kind of point number six. You notice what it says about the sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom of God, prepared for you before the foundations of the world. So it's nothing I did because it's an inheritance. Do you do anything for your inheritance? No. In fact, um, if you get an inheritance at all, it's because somebody died. Not you, (laughs) otherwise you wouldn't get it, right? Secondly, he calls them blessed. He doesn't say He just blesses them. Blessings come not because I did anything good, it's because I am blessed. And then thirdly, he says, it was prepared before the foundation of the world. I had nothing to do with that. This was God's plan from the beginning. This was his choice. This is what he wants. This is what happens to us. We are called sheep because God calls us sheep. He makes us his very own. He brings us into his fold because of what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life for his sheep. So it's not about what I do or didn't do. It's always about what God has done in Jesus Christ and the death he died to give me that inheritance. Point number seven. This is fascinating here. The sheep didn't keep score. The righteous did not keep score. They actually asked the question, "Um, wait a minute, what do we... we just did stuff. Jesus says in the, parab- or in the Sermon on the Mount, when you do good things, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You've ever wondered what that really means? It basically means don't keep score. 
Don't keep tabs on it. Don't hold it back. Don't try to keep a record. You're not gaining, I'm sorry, brownie points or badges, merits, or trophies when you do things. But instead, you just do it because it needs to be done. And they did it not because, well, of course I'm doing this because look at what it's going to give me, but they did it because it needed to be done, because that's who they were, because that's who their God is, because that's how God acted, and they're part of that family. So they just did it naturally, and they didn't keep a record of it because they didn't need to. They weren't trying to justify what they did. They just let it be, and they moved on. Okay? Point number eight. The sheep didn't hear anything about their sins. Notice what happens in this text. It doesn't say, oh, and then he brings the sheep up and says, now, I know you did all these bad things in life on one side of the scale, but you visited the poor, you did this, you did that, you did the other thing, okay, and you did uh, just enough, oops, okay, I guess it tips the scales that way, you're forgiven, everything's good. There is no, none of that. I used to believe, and I brought this up before, when I would face Judgment Day, God was going to have this gigantic IMAX theater in the sky. You know, have you, and your whole life flashes before, and you're sitting up there, and Jesus is going to be a judge who stands, you know, with the wig and everything, you know. I guess he has Jesus here, he doesn't need the wig, but, um, but the point is, and then all of a sudden you stand up in front, and, you're, and, and the billions of people are there who get to see your, all the thoughts of your hearts, everything that's in your, you know what I mean? I don't even want to see it let alone anybody else see all that garbage that I've thought or wanted to do or anything. And then that was going to be flashed up. For some reason, I guess time didn't, as a child, time didn't matter. It wouldn't take that long. But in an instance, my whole life flashes up. And then in the end, you're going like, oh, because you know what your life is really like. And in the end, then all of a sudden, you're just ready to hear the judgment. Guilty. But instead, up, up, up. Jesus says, ah, but I paid for all that, never mind. <gasps> and then I got in, right? Guess what? He doesn't even bring them up. Judgment is not a day when you're going to hear anything about your past, the bad stuff. It's not a balancing of the scales. That stuff, when it's forgiven, it's forgotten and it's gone. All it is is for us. And this is where I think Luther started to get at this it's a day of rescue and redemption and joy because of what Jesus Christ has done, okay? Now, on the other hand, goats, they did keep score because they were looking around and they didn't see anything to do. And in a sense, they're keeping score because they're trying to justify the fact that they didn't do anything. Notice that? Well, wait a minute, Jesus, we didn't see you. You sure didn't look like this. You know, where were you? Of course, we, why would we take, we don't care. Hey, you weren't there, so we didn't do anything. It's kind of like, um, you know, the dog ate my homework kind of stuff, or I didn't get around to it. <coughs> but they were trying to justify why they didn't. This is what's interesting. One theologian put it this way, what the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And so they were justifying their inactivity and said, Lord, we would have done something if we would have seen you. Oh, we didn't do anything because we didn't need to because you weren't there. That's what they thought. 
And notice what they do is in this parable. They don't face their condemnation because of all those big sins that we think about. Fornication, theft, murder, genocide. But what they didn't do, the simple things, visit someone in prison, feed the hungry, give a cup of water, you know, to the thirsty, visit the lonely. Isn't that interesting? So they kept trying to justify themselves, and that's why, wait a minute, we didn't do anything because we didn't need to, because you weren't there. And that itself, trying to keep score, not letting go, that's the issue. And then point number 10. The punishment in this is a tragedy. You hear how it says, depart from me. Um, you are going to the place reserved that was prepared for the devil and his evil angels. Do you realize God never intended, and it's never his intent, that one person would ever occupy that position. It was made, the purpose of hell was for the devil and his evil angels alone. And anyone who ends up there is a tragedy and something God does not want, period. What's the surprise in this parable? We talked about this a little at the Ascension. Um, when we were talking about that, was it last week? Um, he, when he ascended into heaven and sits at the right, is the fact that when Jesus ascends into heaven, he does not vacate the... He's not Elvis and leave the building. He's actually here, present in this world. He said, lo, I am with you always. And the interesting thing is the way God chooses to be in this world will get us into the balance, the clarity, and the belonging, is that he, as Mother Teresa says, is wearing his most distressing disguises in the poor, in the needy, in the lonely, in the vulnerable. Jesus is present and well on this planet. He's right here, and he's accessible. He's tangible. He's right here in this room right now. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper again today, and Jesus comes to us in the most humble of means, really, with bread and wine, and he gives us himself, his body and blood. He says, take and eat, take and drink. This is me for you. He's right here, right now, fully present in this world. He hasn't disappeared. So when he appears in glory, he's just showing up in glory, and we see him in the obvious way. Right now, he's incognito. And that makes all the difference. So let's take this into the grid we've talked about. Balance, clarity, and belonging. First of all, balance. And I think this is the balance for me. We can make judgments in this world because we do. Everybody does. But we can't, do not have to be judgmental. Did you get that? Miroslav Volf, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was a Croatian. He lived in Yugoslavia. He grew up in a place, the Balkans, where there was retaliation, retribution, back and forth, killings and murders and genocide going on in his life. And he is a Christian and a theologian. And he says, only in the West, 
in places where everything's comfortable would you think that judgment doesn't make any sense. But if you live in a place like that, you are glad there is a final judgment, that God will come in the person of Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead, because guess what that means? I can make judgments about what's right and wrong, but I don't have to be judgmental. It's not up to me to straighten everything out in this world, and I do not have to retaliate. I do not have to get even, and I do not have to get back. We can stop the cycle of retribution in this world, and I do not have to condemn anyone. And that leaves, vengeance is the Lord's, as the Bible says again and again. It's not mine to hold on to or to figure out or worry about. I get to serve and I get to speak truth and I get to love and I get to care and let God take care of all of that stuff in the last judgment. And then I don't have that burden. I'm not judge and jury. I let somebody else take care of that. That's his business. We as Christians, though, I think, have come across in our society, it's in the book Unchristian that Dan Kinnaman wrote, as being extremely judgmental in this society. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It's one of his points. And I'm sorry to say that gets in the way of people ever coming in to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ because they look at Christians and think you're being the most unchristian I know because of the way that you are being like the church lady with the superiority thing going on, looking down on everybody and treating them as that's not our position to be in. Not at all. We can have balance in our lives. True, you have to make discerning judgments in this world. You have to be able to say this is right and this is wrong. This is the way to go. This is not the way to go. I'm not going to live like that, etc. But you do not have to condemn. You do not have to assign them in that direction. You can pray for them, serve them, love anyone all the time, and be serving Jesus throughout. Do you get it? So I think that balance in life where we are make judgments are not judgmental is just a wonderful thing that you can get because Jesus is the one who comes to judge the living and the dead. Then on to clarity. This, I think, is the most clear in this parable. Do you notice it's all about Jesus and your relation to him? Your ju- the judgment in the last day is not about what you did or didn't do. Did you follow the Ten Commandments or didn't you follow the Ten Commandments? Did you keep all of the rules properly? It says, what you did or did not do to me through the least of these. Do you get it? It's all about Jesus and relationship to him. He is the one who judges the living and the dead. Praise God. He's the human. He's the one who went through the passion for us. In fact, it happened within days. This was when Matthew 25 was written, when he spoke these words. It was after Palm Sunday. It was just days before he'd be the one who was weak and poor and imprisoned and finally tortured and crucified and betrayed and left alone to die. And he does all of that for you so that he becomes the determining factor of your salvation, period. In John 5, he spoke about that as well, and he said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him the authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Praise God, it is the Son of Man, it is Jesus Christ who died for you, who is making that decision for you on the last day. And you have already passed from death to life. You've already passed through the judgment. So the last day is not a day of retribution, a day of vengeance and wrath for you. It is a day of rescue. Do you realize judges in the Bible, if you look biblically at what a judge is, it's not somebody with the wig on behind a bench with a gavel in his hand. It is judges like Samson and Jephthah and Deborah and Barak in the Old Testament. They were called judges. They were rescuers. Another way to say it is he is coming to judge the living and the dead. He is coming to rescue us. And for us who know who Jesus is, who believe and trust him, it is a day of redemption and a day to look forward to and a day of liberation and freedom and celebration. Okay? That gives us clarity. Something you don't have to fear. And finally, how do you belong? Here's what I love about this parable, too. You know, Jesus doesn't say, okay, now, sheep, everyone who's a, in the U.S. of A, you're over here. And everyone in the rest in the world, boom, you're over. He doesn't do, or everybody with a bank account with this much money in it is over here, and anybody who has more than that, oops, you're over. He doesn't do any of that, right? It's not based on ethnicity, nationality, culture, language, intelligence, wealth, none of that. It's based on your relationship to Jesus Christ, period. And that's why the Christian church can be diverse. In fact, it is diverse across this globe. It is the largest organization that exists in this world, bigger than Facebook, okay? It really is. And there are billions of people who follow Jesus across the globe in many different countries in many different places. We are not the most organized about it. We're not the most together about it, but that is who we are. Okay? And you've got a God here who speaks these words of hope and peace to you to say, I'm going to straighten everything out. And the way you get to serve me in this world is a way to show that you really do belong. The parable teaches us that God is present and available and right here. And he's not thrilled or excited. He's not going like, way to go, John. You knew how to preach a sermon. That's not what I'm going to hear on the last day. Or way to go. Look at the show you put on Sunday mornings. Or way to go. Look at those magnificent buildings you built. Or wow, you invented some new technology that changed the world. Way to go. These are things that Jesus brings up that seems so inconsequential, so insignificant, so common, so ordinary that we forget about them, but they are the exact things that he cares about, and he ma- that matters to him because of the vulnerable, the weak, the lonely, the marginalized, the neglected, the suffering. 
He is found still in this world in those things. And so the fellowship that we have on Sunday morning and where we belong is no matter what condition you're in, you fit here. Because the one thing we all have in common is basically our weaknesses, our fallenness, our struggles, our questions, our doubts, and our needs. And this is a place when we can get them fulfilled. And when I serve someone else in whatever vulnerabilities they have, guess what? I'm serving Jesus. Can you imagine if we have that understanding, what kind of belonging and what kind of fellowship, what kind of family we become? Talk about belonging. That's the kind of group I want to be with that lets me be me with all my weaknesses and faults and failures and that I receive love and mercy and grace. And boy, this world needs that. Doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Balance, clarity, and belonging. That's my hope for you today. For those who trust in Jesus, who know him, hey, I hope this is what Martin Luther said gives you joy. And for those who might be struggling and just wondering and debating still, I'm just not sure about this Jesus thing. I don't want this to scare you or to freak you out, but it to become an invitation to realize what a God you have, what a Savior, someone who wants to rescue you, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And now's your opportunity to receive the gift, the gift of eternal life, the gift of Jesus himself. So let's pray. Lord God, you are indeed merciful, and even in righteous judgment, you want everyone, everyone to be yours. You were the one, Jesus, that wept over Jerusalem that day and wanted to gather everyone in. And you are the one, Lord, who comes to us in our places of vulnerability, and you give us mercy and grace and reconciliation and forgiveness and healing. I pray, Lord God, that you encourage and embolden us who trust in you, that this world as messy and mixed up as it is, you're going to straighten it all out in your own merciful and righteous way. And you are the judge, and we need not be judgmental. Give us that balance, Lord, and give us the clarity that we have passed from death into life already. Give us that joy of that clarity. And give us a sense of belonging here that we are part of your kingdom and your kingdom's work to the least of these. And we pray for anyone in our lives, Lord, who are gathered here this day or we know that isn't, uh, that is doubting, that is skeptical, that is questioning, that isn't yet uh, trusting and believing in you. We pray, Lord, the Holy Spirit, that you would come and through your gospel bring faith to them in such a way that they would receive the gift, trust you, and know the joy of being yours. That we all here, blessed are you, inherit the kingdom. This we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.